Well, um, welcome everybody. Uh, we're very lucky today to have Peter Fife here. Um, very lucky partly for those of us who are really interested in Kosovo, because as you all know, he is international civilian representative, which means he is in charge of the civilian liaison office which is set up by those 25 <laughs> members of the EU that have recognized Kosovo. And at the same time, he is EU special representative to Kosovo, representing the whole of the... He's the special representative of Javier Salon uh, to Kosovo. The other thing to say about Peter Fyth is that he has a very distinguished diplomatic career, both in NATO and in the EU. Um, he was telling us some very dramatic stories about his role in Macedonia or Farum uh, in 2001. He was also head of the EU's Ace mission, which was extraordinarily successful in helping to implement the peace agreement against <coughs> most people's expectations. He's been in charge of EU uh, civilian crisis management, which is something the EU specializes in. So there's a lot to learn from him, and so I'm really delighted to welcome him. I first met him uh, when I was in Kosovo about a year and a half ago, and it was the midst of a crisis with the UN, <laughs> where the UN was suddenly announcing it wasn't willing to give up its competencies. So it'll be very, very interesting to hear from Mr. Fife what's happened. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much, Mary, for your kind introductory words. And thank you very much for inviting me <coughs> today. Uh, it's a, really a, uh, an honor and a privilege to be in this center of reflection on economic and social reform at this particular moment of great change and innovation. And I'm aware that the London School of Economics has given the world ideas and produced world leaders and visionaries that have generated momentum in societies and reformed them to reflect the aspirations of the citizens. And it is indeed reform and progress that we are working hard at generating in Kosovo. Significant steps towards establishing a multi-ethnic society have been made in the past year since Kosovo declared itself independent. At the same time, we worked to ensure that the fundamentals of an aspiring liberal democracy, as well as a free market economy, to wit civil rights, <coughs> the rule of law, fiscal responsibility, are firmly put in place and adhered to by the authorities. Early intervention has been critical as this newest aspirant of eventual entry into the European Union readies itself for its future as a stable, confident, and prosperous partner in the region. Let me therefore <coughs> share with you today the journey that Kosovo has undertaken and the successes and trials that it has experienced. 
I will then discuss future priorities as state building initiatives continue in what still remains a challenging environment in the Western Balkans area. As you well know, the European Union has taken the lead in international efforts in Kosovo with the EU LEX mission, whose deputy head of mission I recognize here on the front row, and who is a, an alumnus of the London School of Economics. Mr. Reeve, thank you for being with us today. As the EU LEX mission now reaches full operational capability, I myself assume dual responsibilities. You've mentioned it. As the international civilian representative, backed by 25 of the countries that have recognized Kosovo's independence, I am charged with overseeing the implementation of Nobel laureate President Atasari's comprehensive settlement plan. And I will speak primarily in that capacity, capacity today. As the European Union Special Representative, backed by the all 27 member states of the Union, I'm responsible for coordinating the overall presences of the European Union on the ground while also providing political guidance. Kosovo's birth as a nation came with myriad complications and remains contested until today, as evidenced by the proceedings that Serbia has brought before the International Court of Justice. Without delving into arguments pro or con the status question, let me, let me just say this. Bearing in mind the violence and the repression endured by the people of Kosovo in the late 1990s, I remain convinced that there was no alternative. There was no alternative to statehood and independence once all the options had been exhaustively reviewed. The verdict of the International Court for the former Yugoslavia in March of this year in the case against Milotinovic and the Serb security forces commanders is yet another grim reminder of the fate of over 800,000 Kosovars forced on the run, killed and raped as NATO began its air campaign against Milosevic. In many ways, the declaration of Kosovo's independence closed the final chapter in the long and tragic dissolution of the former Yugoslavia. I'm confident that the court will take these factors into account when pondering over the sui generis case of Kosovo's independence, where in the view of many, the principle of self-determination had to take precedence over the principle of territorial integrity. Steady strides have been made on the ground since last February. Kosovo adopted a constitution that entered into force on the 15th of June 2008, as well as over, 80, as well as over 50 laws directly related to the implementation of the provisions of the Comprehensive Settlement Plan. Legislation has been enacted to build strong central institutions and at the same time to devolve governing responsibilities to municipal levels as part of an ambitious program for decentralization aimed at improving governance.
These laws will also safeguard the rights and freedoms of all of Kosovo's communities, including through the protection of religious and cultural heritage. A key priority in the last year, in fact an overarching one, has been to start establishing effective rule of law. Lord Ashdown, in his own reflections on post-conflict state building, aptly identified the rule of law as one of the priority areas in stabilization and reconstruction programs. Reform of the economy has also been an important concern for the Kosovo government. A regulatory framework has been established for public-owned enterprises. And the government has expressed a firm commitment to ensuring accountability and transparency in internal fiscal affairs, as well as in handling donor contributions. And finally, in the, in the vital area of outreach to all communities, the government has undertaken a series of initiatives ensuring the participation of members of all minority and majority communities in the nation-building process. Challenges still remain in implementing these measures fully. And we should not forget the long hiatus in self-governance in Kosovo and the inevitable impact that has had. But we, that is my office and myself, we are mandated precisely to supervise the government's work in carrying out these undertakings. The Atisari plan vests in me executive authority to supervise Kosovo's development as an independent state. And this fact is also acknowledged in the constitution of Kosovo. <coughs> However, I have not felt to date the need to exercise these powers, mainly out of respect for the principle of local ownership and responsibility, preferring friendly and consistent persuasion in my contacts with the leadership in Pristina. In choosing this approach, I took account of the fact that after years of administration by the United Nations, there is diminishing acceptance of the international community's involvement in local affairs. All of this has worked well so far, and I'm happy to say that the support of the United Kingdom, among others, is key to the success of my efforts in Kosovo. To date, 58 countries have formally recognized Kosovo's independence, <coughs> including 22 of the 27 members of the European Union. Recognition has also come from three of the four states with which it shares common borders. The recognition by Saudi Arabia could soon be followed by similar steps by prominent members of the Arab and Islamic group of states. Kosovo citizens now have identification documents, including passports, which are recognized as valid for travel. In July 2008, the Republic of Kosovo also submitted official applications for membership to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. As you know, Kosovo's IMF bid was successful 
and I hope that this will be followed by other admissions to key financial institutions later this year. Ladies and gentlemen, the launch of the EU presence in Kosovo last year heralded a significant leap forward for the European Union's engagement as the lead partner of the Kosovo government. The profile of the EU in Kosovo is also reflective of the effective instruments that the European Union is able to bring to bear since the inception, inception of its common foreign and security policy, including the European security and defense policy, some 10 years ago. The EU is represented by the EU-LEG's rule of law mission, the European Commission liaison office, and my own office as a European Union special representative. The European perspective to assist Kosovo in its economic and political development is indeed critical for, Europe, for Kosovo's future. As the EU representatives on the ground, our goals are joint ones, despite our varying mandates. My actions are undertaken in close partnership with the eu lex mission and with the Commission's programs, which are underpinned by significant resources aimed at capacity building and combating organized crime and corruption. A recent European Parliament resolution has given strong support to this approach, while also reminding the Kosovo authorities of the urgency of fulfilling the commitments they have made to the international community. A brief word, if I may, on the regional context. I think this is in order to better understand the dynamics at play in Kosovo. As I have outlined earlier, the submissions before the International Court of Justice by both Kosovo and Serbia and the outcome of the court's proceedings are important aspects for us to keep in mind as we work on our mandates. But recognitions will not be undone nor will the status of Kosovo be reopened for negotiations. On the other hand, I have made it absolutely clear on behalf of the European Union that dialogue between Belgrade and Pristina is critical to keep the momentum for the region in its approximation towards the European Union. We are keen to see much more progress in regional integration and are working hard to help open up channels of communication on practical issues without prejudging points of principle. The Western Balkans remain an important priority for Brussels, as is clearly evident from the EU efforts in Kosovo, as well as the presence of other EUSR offices in the region. It is therefore incumbent on the governments of Western Balkan states to ensure that they sustain and even intensify their efforts at building their societies for an Euro-Atlantic future, which should bring a quality of life their citizens so richly deserve after many years of violence and oppression. Good governance and good corporate governance are key benchmarks in this regard. <coughs> 
Ladies and gentlemen, let me conclude with a few thoughts as Kosovo consolidates its statehood and prepares for what I deem to be a promising future as a democratic and multi-ethnic state. I have defined three priorities for our way ahead. Stability, reform, and reconciliation. The sustainability of all initiatives fundamentally depends on the continued political stability of Kosovo. With this in mind, I agreed with President Seju's decision at the beginning of this year to resist calls for early general elections, thereby creating the necessary space for the government to pursue a much needed reform agenda. The Balkans has aptly demonstrated over the years that elections have perhaps been held too, fre too frequently, but it is that it is the rule of law that must be there to stay. However, Kosovo's stability continues to be negatively influenced from the outside. While actively courting Brussels in its European aspirations, Serbia exercises a certain influence over the Serb community living in Kosovo, in particular in the north. Progress towards a multi-ethnic society in part rests on Belgrade's willingness to let communities decide their future for themselves. Nor should the violence against EU Lex and K4 personnel in the north be allowed to continue. Secondly, on the critical issue of reforms, we have to keep in mind the broader legacy as part of which the people have yet to shape a national con con consciousness and identity. Regional, family, and business affiliations are strong in Kosovo. And this helps explain the prevailing weaknesses in governance and regulatory oversight. But now these affiliations need to come together and yield a strong sense of common purpose based on power sharing in an open democracy. The Kosovo authorities will have to manage public-owned public enterprises transparently and undertake the necessary appointments to their boards and other public functions based only on competence and qualifications. More broadly, the government has pledged the privatization of key state-owned companies. Embryonic plans have been announced for the main electricity producer and dis distributor, for post and telecommunications, as well as for the airport. These privatization programs must advance more robustly, but the global recession is an indication that time is not on their side. My third priority, the need for continued commit commitment to the reconciliation process among Kosovo's communities is central to the comprehensive settlement plan of President Atisari 
and to our overall efforts in all areas of our work. I continue to encourage and support Kosovo's leadership to step up its efforts at outreach to the Kosovo Serbs and other non-majority communities. Indeed, I sense an increasing opportunity here with more and more Serb representatives willing to come forward and engaging with the central institutions. The process of decentralization, the development of curricula for Kosovo Serb education at the primary and secondary levels, as well as the protection of Serb Orthodox cultural and religious heritage, all offer opportunities to integrate the communities in Kosovo. I call upon the Serb community, in particular, to step forward and consider participating in the municipal elections to be held at the end of this year. With sufficient political will, coordination and encouragement, the Kosovo government will continue to progress in its European and Euro-Atlantic aspirations. Once again, dear Mary, I thank you for your gracious invitation to come to the halls of the London School of Economics that have inspired generations of scholars and practitioners alike. I hope that my reflections today will give you food for thought and bring forth new ideas to envision a future for Kosovo that it desires for itself. We have had the unique privilege of watching a young nation finally stand up and take charge of its European destiny. It is now for Kosovo to demonstrate how it will merge this newfound road with the rest of the world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, and I think we've heard quite a substantial program, the program of stability, reform, and reconciliation. And so I'm going to invite questions from people. Um, yes, I'll take the gentleman in the yellow shirt. And I think we'll start by answering each question, and then we'll see how it goes. If there are lots of questions, I'll take them in a bunch. <coughs> Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Could you say who you oh, yeah. are, by the way? Um, my name's Teddy Nicholson. I'm an undergraduate at, at the London School of Economics. Um, there's always been a slightly uh, flexible relationship between politics and law, especially internationally. And you said that the, uh, and you talked uh, briefly about the recognition and how recognition cannot be undone. Recognition, although it has legal significance, is essentially a political act. And I'm wondering um, if you could talk briefly about what might happen if the International Court of Justice were to rule that Kosovo's Declaration of Independence were in fact not legal under international law. Well, let me first say that we shouldn't engage in speculation, but uh, <laughs> my, my um, anticipation really is that the court will uh, not rule clearly that independence was, uh, was uh, illegitimate. Uh, probably there will be a range of dissenting opinions on this. 
and so in the end, um, the outcome may be, may be a draw of sorts. Um, that said, um, there will certainly be uh, an impact on um, legal thinking about, uh, about secession, independence, self-determination. Um, as you know, in the legal sphere, thinking has evolved. And where we still were about a century ago, um, all proponents of a, an absolute principle of territorial integrity. I think there is a strong tendency among um, scholars now to accept that self-determination in extremis, in, uh, in, in, in exceptional cases, could be legitimate. Um, where peoples have been severely oppressed and there is a strong will of the people to secede. Um, I fully admit that this is not a universal um, doctrine yet, but there is a strong, uh, I think, a strong current in this, in this direction. Um, and I personally think that this is a positive development. Now, if the court were to, uh, to rule in favor of, of, of Serbia's position, I think there will be uh, little immediate practical effect coming out of that, in the sense that reconditions are not going to be rolled back or undone, because as you rightly say, this is a, a, a political decision uh, for each government and capital to take. On the other hand, it may have a political effect in the sense that it will slow down further recognitions. Um, it will continue the state of frailty of Kosovo's uh, independence project. And it will make it more difficult uh, for Kosovo to gain uh, the wider recognition that it needs, uh, including in the region including with Serbia, um, so that it can uh, develop itself uh, economically. So legally there will be some uh, effects, uh, politically there will be some effects, but as I've said, I think on the key issue of recognition, um, that, will, that will not be uh, undone. Okay, thank you. Gabriel is the next. Perhaps you could also say who you are, even though I know. Yes, uh, Gabriel Bartosz from the Economist Intelligence Unit. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, perhaps elaborate slightly in slightly more detail about the, the European future of Kosovo. Um, in other words, in terms of the clo forging closer links, integration, how do you see the, the various stages coming up? Um, would Kosovo be included in the stabilization association uh, process? Uh, if so, when? And, and, uh, and finally, would the, the fact that, as you implied, five EU members have not recognized Kosovo, does that have a, a bearing on, uh, on the speed with which Kosovo can join the integration process? Right. Well, to answer your question, I should start by, by the last element of it. And I think that, indeed, uh, the fact that five member states do not recognize Kosovo will have an impact and, and a bearing on, on the speed of the process. Um, 
because at a certain stage decisions uh, will have to be taken uh, by all 27 member states. Um, the first step, however, is the study that the Commission is now going to uh, undertake, which in normal parlance would be called a feasibility study. But um, you know, given the divisions within the European Union, it is, it is not called like that, but it's called a study, which is a little bit more neutral and has less of an, um, an implication that Kosovo is already moving uh, forward. So it is, it is, um, it is positive um, as to the substance, but the, the, uh, the way it has been packaged is a little bit more neutral. Um, that study then should really give an indication as to the possibility and the feasibility of Kosovo to move into the stabilization association uh, process. Um, and then it will move up the ladder, uh, you know, coming to candidate status, uh, if all 27 member states agree, which may not be the case. That said, I think Kosovo has a long way to go. Um, I think I have uh, given some hints on that. Uh, there is, there is um, first and foremost, there is a, a, a need to strengthen the rule of law. Um, there is a need to um, do more work on institution capacity building and institution building. Um, and we have to see Kosovo implement the laws that I mentioned with regard to uh, the respect of, um, of, the, of minority rights and the communities. Um, and there is clearly a need to reform the, the economy. So I think if you look at uh, where Kosovo is at this moment, it has a long way to go, it will take many years, but I think that the perspective it has been offered as part of the Western Balkans region is beneficial because it will, um, it will uh, stimulate the necessary reform measures that may be painful but are needed. Okay, gentlemen here. <coughs> Um, my name's David Martins and I'm a member of a prayer group for Albania and well aware of the situation between um, Serbia and what was then the Albanian uh, majority of the population in Kosovo. I was speaking to last September to somebody who had been working in Kosovo and I asked her what the current, since independence, the current relationship between Albanians and Serbs was and she said basically they hate each other. Um, I wonder in the light of <laughs> that sure. irrespective of the outcome and I, I wasn't aware of the uh, case before there was a case before the um, Court of Justice which may be why there hasn't been, you know the situation seems quieter than perhaps one would have expected. Do you see irrespective of the out of a court judgment um, whether, at least in, in the short or even medium term, there is any real prospect of good relationships between Serbian and Albanian communities? Well, certainly as far as the Serb um, community south of the river Ibar is concerned. Uh, we, we, we call them the enclaves because these, these communities are scattered um, in the midst of a predominantly Albanian uh, majority. 
um, and I detect growing signs, as I've, as I've indicated in my presentation, of a willingness to, to uh, engage. Um, and we hope that before the, the year is over that, that this is reflected in, in participation in, in the elections, municipal elections. As far as the situation north of the Ibar is concerned, uh, it's, it's very difficult to give you an exact uh, measure of what the people really want. Uh, because the situation there is uh, sadly very much dominated by hardliners who have no legitimacy um, and um, who are not um, primarily interested in, um, in compromise and, and, uh, and reconciliation. Uh, this may change uh, over time, but it will take more time. With the exception of EU LEX and the United Nations, uh, the international community has very little access to the North. Um, it's difficult for the Commission and for donors to uh, start working there because of the uh, of the security situation. So um, I think this distinction between <coughs> north and south is 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 relevant. Um, overall, I'm still optimistic that we can uh, integrate the communities in Kosovo. It needs a helping hand from Belgrade, but it can be done. Yes, we can. So, the lady there. My name is Diana Pujula from the Hellenic Observatory. My Can question you, is... I, we can't quite hear. Speak a little bit closer to the mic. Uh, my name is Diana Pujula from the Hellenic Observatory, and my question is, um, when do you foresee that Kosovo may become an economically self-sustaining state, and are there any particular steps anticipated that would lead Kosovo there? Um, is there a particular program or, or anything put in place to, to ensure that, that Kosovo gets there? Thank you. Um, Kosovo has some natural resources. Um, it can become a self-sustaining state. It will uh, need to work hard and find niches. Uh, and bearing that, it will it will still remain at the lower end of of uh, of national income and and uh, at the higher end of poverty. It's the most the poorest country, one of the poorest countries uh, in Europe. And um, and so foreign assistance, uh, foreign direct assistance, for, foreign direct investments, assistance, and the remittances. Uh, from the uh, Kosovo diaspora will remain the, uh, the main sources of income. Um, many thought that with the economic uh, crisis, the remittances would go down uh, fairly rapidly. Not so. Uh, if anything, the remittances uh, went up by 3%, which is quite surprising, I would say. Apparently, Kosovars who are working and living abroad um, continue to feel the, you know, the solidarity effect and, and, and want to continue to transfer their incomes, part of it, to, to Kosovo. I think with the reforms, it will become a self-sustaining uh, state. Uh, 
It is landlocked. It has a number of uh, natural uh, advantages and a, and a number of handicaps which need to be overcome. But gradually, I think, the international uh, support can gradually decline uh, as Kosovo uh, comes closer to the European Union and starts to fully benefit of the uh, programs that the European Union has for the region and for the country itself. Okay, the gentleman over there has had his hand up for a long time. I was glad to hear you talking about open democracy in one sentence and then uh, in the next you, you can decided. Can you say who you are? Sorry, I'm, I'm Paul Mitchell, I'm just a person who comes to these from time to time. <laughs> I was interested that you said you were all for open democracy and then almost in the next sentence you, along with the president, decided there wouldn't be a, or you would delay the elections. So it seems to me a bit of a, a contradiction there. <clears throat> and I'm just wondering whether, in fact, talking about Kosovo independence, whether that's a complete illusion. <clears throat> Historically, the Balkans have been the plaything of the world powers. And as far as I can see, that's what they are now. And we are seeing a, <coughs> a battle between the world powers being played out on the Kosovo, on the Balkan stage. And I'm afraid you're part of it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> first, let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you, I mean, is it necessary to hold elections even if the law doesn't foresee that the election should be held just to make give the impression that the country is democratic? I mean, I'm, I'm firmly with, with Paddy Ashdown on this. Um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not elections that count. Paddy Ashdown, we have a message trade across Well, you're, you're lucky that Paddy is not with us in the audience, but he would have... He would have Yeah, well, let's take it one, one at a time. I think, I think <laughs> what he says is, is that in a post-conflict uh, situation, elections may, may be important, but they may also be self-defeating because they may entrench the, uh, the very leaders of the, of the conflict, and, and it, it, it may therefore not be uh, a, uh, the first priority. Uh, but the, mo the main argument, really, in my situation in Kosovo was that the law didn't foresee or didn't make it necessary to hold elections, and therefore there was no need to do so. It was the opposition clamored for elections. Uh, but that's not a reason to give in. Um, I hope you will agree with that. I mean, that's, it's, it's the law. Um, <coughs> your other points have to do with the role of the great powers and, and, and the history of the Balkans. I, I agree, uh, there is that history and there is that legacy, but uh, it's not going to be the future and it's not the, 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 uh, the concept that we as Europeans or as a European Union would like to see uh, uh, introduced in, in the Balkans. Um, this, should become, this region should become a stable element of the European space, even if enlargement will not uh, be an option uh, soon. It is, as you know, it is, it is not to be excluded that enlargement will come to an end for some time because uh, leaders will, will find that uh, the European Union uh, is, is 
is best continuing in its present, in its, uh, present uh, size and shape. But I think that the, the European perspective is, is a very powerful uh, uh, lever to, uh, to reform the societies and overcome the, uh, the uh, ethnic uh, diversities and <coughs> tensions that have, uh, that have raged for so long in that part of the world. So um, my approach is very much based on, on letting the government decide and, and take the decisions. It's what we call local ownership and responsibility. And I foresee that my office as a supervising uh, structure will soon come to uh, a close because we think that uh, you know, the requirements of, of, uh, of, of Atesari have been, have been met and that at a certain point you can hand over to the European Union to uh, accompany uh, Kosovo towards uh, Brussels. That's the vision that I have. And I hope that uh, the audience can agree that this vision has more attraction, more attraction, and more, uh, more hope for ultimate stability in the Balkans than to think back about times when the superpowers were, were uh, taking decisions and dominating the Balkans. So the lady in the front. Thank you. I'm Katrina Dame. I'm a journalism student at the University of Westminster. First of all, Mr. Faith, I think I have to correct you on something. At the beginning of your speech, you said, or oh, you were talking about what um, the Kosovans had to endure during the war, right? Um, I think uh, you have to correct your sentence and say what the Albanians had to endure during the war, because it was 800,000 Albanians who had to leave their homes um, as a result of the war. Um, second thing is what I wanted to ask you. Last year in May, um, you said, I quote you, personally I'm happy with the progress and the implementation of the Atisari plan and the process of decentralization, right? Can you please name me one example in human history in which decentralization actually worked out and was uh, worked out positively um, for the people in that state? Because as far as I know, the, uh, the Roman Empire perished because of decentralization. Is, am I right? So I, I'm just asking, uh, what's the point of decentralization when there is no example in human history of the positive result of decentralization? Second thing is, if you consider 90% a population of 90 of the, with a majority of 90% Albanian as multi-ethnic, then I guess Britain, Holland, Germany, France, and all the other countries are to be considered multi-ethnic as well, and should be basically include all those ethnicities in their flags as well. Don't you think so? Well, we do in the British flag. <laughs> let, let me come back to you. You asked if. Uh, a series of questions. Uh, the, the first one was about uh, 800,000 Kosovars uh, versus 800,000 Albanians. I, you know, I may be totally wrong, but if you read your your uh, your history, we are talking about the inhabitants of Kosovo in at the end of the 1990s, and they were, uh, you know, 800,000 of them were uh, were were chased around by by the security forces. Chased around by the 
Well, I mean, I... I I agree. Okay. I agree. Um, well, let me be quite brutally frank with you. I think they were the victims of the war. Okay. Okay, we, we've got your point. Right. Thank you very much. Decentralization. Well, you know, I'm from the Netherlands, and we did a lot on decentralization, and we think it's been a, a roaring success. Um, my dear friend here is also from the Netherlands. Maybe he can, he can uh, support me in this case. Uh, in the United Kingdom, a lot has been done on decentralization. I, I, would, I would be, I would be uh, foolish to, to call it a roaring success, perhaps. It's more for, the, for, for our British friends here to judge about it. But I think in many you know, states of the European Union, decentralization is one of the, uh, uh, one of the uh, most successful attempts at improving governance, at bringing the decision on local services down to the citizens themselves at the municipal level. If you talk about uh, water supply, uh, about uh, garbage removal, about power in the municipalities, you would like to see that being decided upon by the citizens at the municipal level. We think that that is something that is very ben beneficial. And we, uh, we have, we have, we have uh, recommended to the government in Kosovo that they, they embark on such a program as well. And they're doing it. You see now that, that important uh, um, authorities and responsibilities are being transferred to the municipal level. Um, and we think that that will improve the governance in, in Kosovo, madam. Denise. I'm Denisa Kostovic, I'm a lecturer in government department here at the LSE. Uh, in your uh, talk, in the, uh, your, uh, the, the, the program that you envisage uh, to do, um, you mentioned uh, one issue which is critical in the literature on post-building and post-conflict reconstruction, and that is uh, you mentioned familiar connections. In other words, this post-conflict literature talks about the permeation of the state with particular interests, whether based on family or war connections, and the changing nature of the state itself. In other words, that the state is no longer a neutral actor, even in the context of state building. I'm wondering how do you envisage to tackle these interests, which are, uh, I mean, Kosovo is one example. Uh, we have the same situation elsewhere in the Balkans. Well, first of all, I think this is a, a feature of of society in, in Kosovo, which frankly I haven't seen elsewhere in the Balkans. Um, it is, and this is, I'm not giving a, a, a judgment as to, uh, as to the, uh, as to uh, the, uh, the uh, intrinsic merits of this, of this phenomenon, but I think this is something typically, typical for the Albanian traditional society. Uh, structures, and you see it very strongly, uh, in particular, in the countryside in Kosovo, in the rural areas. Um, it <coughs> also tends to breed um, 
linkages that we would sort of broadly uh, describe as corrupt or related to organized crime. Uh, there is a, uh, not always visible, but there is an, a sort of a, um, a uh, fleeting uh, relationship with, with organized crime and corruption. And that needs to be brought under control. Um, and I think that is one of the main uh, tasks of, of EU LEX. Um, the second aspect is that the leadership needs to develop um, a national uh, vision, a, a, um, a, a, a view of the interests of the state. That is still work in progress, I would say. Um, you may think that this is a, it's a bit unreasonable to ask all these questions and, and to put all these requirements to the leaders of a country that has only declared independence um, more than a year ago. But I think it is very important that they look at the main issues and the challenges of the country in a broader context. Um, and not as a zero-sums game, uh, which I, you know, that the impression you get very often when you talk to the leaders. Um, they are afraid that any advantage to the other side is is automatically to the detriment of their own interest. That need to not be the case. The dialogue with Belgrade can become a win-win situation for, for both sides. Um, and there are other examples. Um, so that is something that I hope we can see develop in the coming years. Okay, now we're getting lots of people, so I'm going to start doing three at a time. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Ivana Jelic. Uh, I come from Montenegro. I, I'm assistant professor at uh, human rights uh, course, human rights law. And here I'm visiting a fellow at the Center for Study of Global Governance at LSE, which is my special pleasure. And thank you for uh, this um, extraordinary interesting speech and uh, answering. Um, what I would like to ask you is uh, concerning um, practical effects of uh, constitutional and legal guarantees of respect of multicultural society, multiculturalism in Kosovo. Because uh, as we all know, the history of uh, the Balkans, our history of good laws and uh, implementation was a contradiction of what was uh, legally framed. So uh, my question would be stressed, is Kosovo society actually ready to ensure realization of concept integration without forced assimilation? Integration, integration without forced assimilation. Integration of uh, persons, citizens of non-Albanian uh, nationality and ethnicity. Mm, and also, uh, I'm interested in uh, if there is a special law, like Specialis, on protection of rights of national and ethnic minorities in Kosovo. Thank you. Can, I'm sorry, can you rephrase that last uh, question? The last question? Good. Yeah. Uh, next so specialis. Is there a leg specialis on protection of rights of national and ethnic minorities in Kosovo? Okay, thank you. Now I take the lady here. You may have noticed I have a preference for women, but actually it doesn't lead to more women speaking, it leads slightly to parity. Because more men. Uh, my questions. name is Fatmira Bunyaku. Uh, 
I, I was candidate for ombudsperson. I just came from Kosovo. I had an interview. I was not happy with the protest. I want to know wha uh, what is the ICO uh, role in this, uh, uh, in, in, what is your involvement in uh, helping the government of Kosovo election of ombudsperson, as we know, is very important, especially in post-communist state. It's very important someone to be elected who is impartial and ob objective to protect the rights of all uh, citizens in Kosovo. Thank you. Okay, now uh, the gentleman in the blue shirt who's had his arm up for ages. Thank you. Uh, my name is Janek Lasotsky. I graduated from here last year and I spent five months in DG enlargement at the Commission. Um, enlargement in the EU depends on conditionality, which, which depends on the people on the ground believing that in London, that the accession can actually happen. Um, there's a risk that if Serbia um, continues to not recognize Kosovo, then Serbia and perhaps other countries in the region won't be able to accede. Um, so they'll lose the belief in the conditionality, etc. So the whole process will come to a, uh, a standstill. Is there some sort of strategy for that? Is there some sort of long-term plan? If you, is there is the EU, the Commission, or someone got ideas how to what, what, what you can do in that um, situation? Well, three very substantial questions for you. Four, actually, because you asked. There was a double. <laughs> a double header there. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, on on your question, Professor, <laughs> may I say uh, thank you for your your your, your good questions. I think I should, I should refer to the uh, Atesari provisions on protection of, of, of minorities. And I think the approach is not a lex specialis, but it is to give reserved positions and seats in the assembly to the communities, not only the Serb community, but, but the others as well. And that is the, the approach that has been taken. Um, and you see that in talking about practical effects, you see that in the parliament, in the constitutional court, which we hope to, uh, to uh, have established in the coming weeks, in the Kosovo police service, um, and in uh, a number of public um, uh, instruments, there is a, a requirement for, uh, for uh, the minorities to be adequately represented. Um, does it fully work? Well, um, sadly, we are still in a situation where um, there is a um, there is a, um, uh, a a policy of non-engagement on the side of the Kosovo uh, Serb community, uh, inspired by Belgrade, and therefore you see that, for instance, with the Kosovo police, and I'm sure Mr. Reeve can give you all the details. The Kosovo police has lost many of its Serb uh, staff and, and, and policemen because uh, of the, uh, the uh, uh, independence uh, <coughs> problem. Uh, and so this has to be sort of um, re rebuilt and there are signs that it may happen. Um, so I think that is the approach that, that the government um, has committed itself to. It's enshrined in the Constitution. And um, if 
if the 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 Kosovo uh, Serb uh, population would like to avail itself of these rights, then it can do so, and the system should work. Um, I'm I'm sorry you didn't make it to become the ombudsperson. Uh, <laughs> I, um, Well, this has a long history, and there have been now, I think we are at the fifth attempt to uh, see a, an ombudsperson uh, um, selected. But I think this time we will get it right. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when I say we, it's principally the government who has to take the decision, and the ombudsperson is um, mainly the responsibility of the OSCE, but the OSCE is constrained uh, in its mandate by the Permanent Council, uh, of, of which two, two member states uh, do not wish the OSCE to uh, do anything that would go beyond status neutrality. Um, therefore, by default, uh, my office has taken an interest in the process of selecting an ombudsperson. And I can tell you that now we have reached a point where there is a shortlist of about I would say about at least three, but there may be a few more, uh, highly qualified, highly qualified persons, each of which we think could be a good ombudsperson. I realize that perhaps you should be on that list as well, and I hope you will be on the, on the list soon to come. I know it's not because of yourself, but uh, I would still hope that, that, that there will uh, uh, you know, remain an interest from uh, qualified people to, to fill this position. It's a key position, as you rightly say, but I'm confident that this time we will get the right people uh, to, um, to, to, uh, to be on the shortlist yeah, and to be selected. Okay. No, but Okay. No, I, I don't think we should go too much in detail. But I think really, we, I'm confident that, that qualified people are now being taken seriously into consideration. On conditionality uh, for the European Union um, and the strategy that the Commission may have on this point, um, <coughs> I should say that recognition of Kosovo is not a conditionality for Serbia to move forward um, in its approximation to, to, to Brussels. Um, so there is only one conditionality that remains, and that is uh, full cooperation with the International Tribunal. Um, how this is going to develop in the coming years is, to my mind, not absolutely clear. Uh, but there is a long way to go again. And uh, I would hope that by the time Serbia reaches candidate status, uh, there would be um, further normalization in the region and that there would be a, uh, a clear commitment that, uh, that Serbia 
uh, if it becomes a member of the European Union. And I, again, I would, I would hope that this will happen, uh, but enlargement is, as you know, uh, not without its, uh, without its contro controversy in, in the member states. That Serbia would not block other uh, members um, uh, of the region to equally become members. Okay. Um, I mean, the example of, of the current situation with regard to Croatia is, is a case in point, and it would be highly unfortunate if, if a country like Croatia that has, you know, is about at the thres threshold of membership would be blocked because of a territorial dispute. Okay, so we've got Edward here, and then you, and then the person in the black shirt, because he's had his hand up for ages. Um, did I see Yelitsa? That's great. But we'll go for the next, I think we'll have time for one more round afterwards. It's a fact. Oh. Thank you very much for the uh, interesting speech and your frank answer, answers to the questions. Say, I have say a, who you are. Sorry, uh, I'm Edward, a uh, PhD candidate at, uh, at the LSE um, and a tutorial fellow. Um, I have a, a very quick question. You mentioned um, local, uh, you mentioned, uh, I forgot the word, national ownership, local ownership. And I was wondering to what extent you found that as you uh, stepped down to quote Bush, I guess it's not popular, but that the uh, Kosovo leaders stepped up um, or that the citizens stepped up to hold their leaders accountable. It's a very simple question, but I've seen or in other post-conflict states that um, local leaders are not so much held accountable because they're held accountable by the international community, which in a way lets them off the hook to be held accountable towards their local citizens. So do you see positive developments since about a year and a half now? Thank you. Thank you. Do we do, uh, yeah, we, we take them. We can take three. Yeah, I'm a, a master's student here at the LSE. Um, just a question on your emphasis on privatization and reforms. Um, Kosovo's had uh, uh, recently a, a surging population in, recent, in the recent past, and that's uh, led to a problem of, uh, with the previous privatizations of unemployment. Um, and then also there's a related issue of uh, privatization leading to um, the concentration of power in a small number of hands and rising inequality within Kosovo, which seem to be significant problems for democratization. So how, how do you fit that into the reform strategy and the European, um, the shift towards Europe? Okay, and then you, you, you have you got there. Yeah. Hello, um, my name is Ivo Jongian. Um, I'm a fellow Dutchman and undergraduate student at the LSE. And uh, my, so I can fully attest to the um, um, benefits of decentralization. Um, <laughs> my question concerns Serbia, and it ties in with the gentleman in the blue shirt's question. Um, it is particularly about um, the situation that the Serbian government finds itself in at this point in time. Um, I did not realize that um, recognition of Kosovo does not um, concern Serbia's uh, movement towards the European Union. So my initial thought was that Serbia would be forced in an awkward position, either move towards the European Union and help um, and, and try and, and, and um, stabilize the uh, situation in northern Kosovo, or appease the local, um, the local feelings that Kosovo should very much remain a part of Serbia, which is the majority opinion in Serbia. Now it seems that there is no incentive whatsoever to move towards um, um, a stabilization of um, the 
the situation in northern Kosovo, and particularly the Serb minority there. How will the European Union try and incentivize Belgrade to move towards a stable northern Kosovo, which is the first of the three major steps you mentioned? Good question. <laughs> um, on accountability, um, um, I've spoken in the European Parliament um, a couple of, of, of months ago already, um, and I've, I've made some critical remarks about what I saw as the weaknesses in democracy. So I'm coming back to uh, the theme of democracy. Um, the, the Parliament in the Assembly of Kosovo should play, in my view, a greater and more central role in public debate and also in supervising uh, the government, in allowing the government to make uh, presentations on its uh, policy priorities. Um, to date, this has not yet developed to the, a degree that you can um, that you would have wished, and therefore the public debate is mainly channeled through the press. And if things are really getting uh, heated, then uh, public debate ends up in the streets. Uh, whereas the parliament is, is in many cases uh, on issues that are of national <coughs> interest, um, rather inarticulate and silent. And I think that needs to be developed. Um, I think the citizens would like to see that happen very soon. Um, it has to do with uh, party linkages, it has to do with lack of experience, and the Parliament of Kosovo will be assisted in its efforts over the coming years by, uh, from, from various sides. There will be certainly also from the side of the European Union there is an interest to, to help share experiences and to improve uh, the working methods of um, of the assembly, and that I think that once this happens, ha happens, um, the accountability will be assured by the parliament and not by the international community, as you rightly say, and that that would be the normal end state of of our efforts. On privatization, um, I think I'm a I'm a strong proponent of privatization because uh, the electricity sector, the power power sector is hopelessly outdated. The, uh, I don't know if you've been in Kosovo, but anybody who has been there <coughs> can smell the, uh, the, uh, the state of, uh, of uh, degradation uh, of the uh, power uh, houses, some of which uh, you know, date from the 1960s um, and are of Russian uh, uh, origin. Um, so that needs, that needs uh, privatization because Kosovo has one um, natural resource which is lignite. Um, <coughs> lignite as a, as, a, as a raw material for generating power. And uh, the, the great advantage of the Kosovo uh, lignite supply is that it is so close to the surface that you can scrape it easily and, um, and, and, and use it for, for, uh, for combustion. Um, I think privatization, if, if undertaken in a transparent way, with accountability as to the revenues, which is not guaranteed in Kosovo, as you can imagine, 
will be a success. It will make the overall uh, fiscal sustainability in the short and medium term uh, more guaranteed. Uh, if, to put it differently, if there would be no privatization, the energy sector would uh, would um, um, would remain a burden on the budget and, and make and make the, the fiscal situation uh, unsustainable. So all of this has to be taken forward. Um, together with foreign direct investment as a, uh, a possible um, way out of the current economic impasse where 44% of the uh, population is without work. Um, I like the question about the North and the dilemma uh, the Serb government finds itself in. Um, the European Union is, is working with Belgrade to uh, to see to it that the situation in the north, first of all, does not degenerate de 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 in, in violence as it has happened over the past weeks against international um, uh, peacekeepers and, and the EU-led staffs. Um, the question that we are facing is that it is not exactly clear who is responsible for the situation in the north and in how far Belgrade can, can, can le leverage the, the situation there. But I think that over the long, the long run, um, something needs to be done and we cannot allow a black hole to develop in, in the midst of the European space. And um, as I've said, I think that Belgrade needs to be helpful in this in this in this regard, as it as as it I think is is being understood increasingly in in in, in Serb government uh, circles. So I think um, Belgrade can move towards Brussels. Um, there must be full cooperation with the international international presidencies in Kosovo. Um, recognition should hopefully come at some stage, but. More importantly, for the short and medium term, there must be practical cooperation on a number of, uh, of, of issues of, of mutual concern. The eu lex mission needs to uh, have contacts and cooperation in the rule of law sector. Um, to give you another example, um, the European Union, uh, in particular Eurostat and the Commission, intend to conduct a population census in the Balkans including in Serbia, including in Kosovo. Uh, and it would be highly beneficial if this, uh, this important undertaking can be done region-wide uh, with, uh, with full cooperation as to the uh, transmission of data um, among, among the states uh, involved. So there is, there is work to be done uh, which should not immediately prejudge status issues. Okay, now I think this is the last round. So I'm only actually going to take two questions and then I'm going to ask a question myself. So I start with Yelitsa there. And then the gentleman at the end. Sorry to everybody else. Okay, I am advised to, to represent myself as Yelena Bielitsa, tourist from Kosovo. <laughs> uh, my question is regarding the rule of law and uh, that you mentioned several times. And bearing in mind that uh, ULEX has a particular mandate to monitor, mentor, and advise to which extent you would be, ULEX would be able to actually deliver capacity building, which to my 
understanding and a knowledge of Kosovo situation, it's a necessity. And the second question, it's uh, regarding reform, but I would look at the reform of security sector and whether you envisage any reform you know, of security sector of Kosovo, which goes beyond the creation of Kosovo security force. Rudy Grazio, Foreign Affairs Consultant. I specialize in the Balkans. Uh, <clears throat> my question is related to one of the basic uh, rights, freedom of movement. And now there has been quite a lot of speculation on the media and in both in, in European Union and in the Balkans in relation to liberalization of visas towards the Western Balkan countries or perhaps the total abolishment of, of these very obstacles towards European integration. Now, some suggest that, of course, that once they fulfill their requirements, each country separately, this is one of the conditions set out by the EU commissions. Now, the, the speculations are mainly uh, related to Serbia, who is seemed to have fulfilled some of the conditions Others say that Macedonia is perhaps the, the foremost country with both a candidate country and also they have fulfilled their border issues and uh, biometric passports and identity documents. Others say that perhaps Montenegro, because it has such a small population and that would not inflict any problem into European Union. Others say that Albania, because it's, it's making such a huge progress towards uh, European integration. But nobody seems to talk about Kosovo. And in a way, Kosovo now is left aside. What's your position towards this very important issue in, in, in uh, further integration towards European Union? And if Kosovo uh, would be left isolated, do you agree that that would not only be wrong but very dangerous? So my simple question is, are you tracing this important step? Okay, and then I'm going to ask a question. It struck me listening to all these questions that a lot of people have asked something to do with democracy and political processes. Uh, and I agree with you that elections in post-conflict situations can't be equated with democracy. On the other hand, if you want to introduce a rule of law and if you want to somehow deal with the problems of family connections and special interests, you do need some kind of genuine public dialogue. So I suppose my question is really what can you do as an EU person to foster that? These are the last. Uh, there was a gentleman there who was particularly disappointed that he couldn't fill this question. Is it something that you know, okay, is broadly the same? Can we? Would you mind if we make an exception for no, you? No, not at all. He, can, he can ask his question. Uh, Well, 
you're just about to get a microphone. Um, <laughs> if you can make it short. And yeah, I will, I will try and make it short. It's about the state of the statehood of Kosovo and the process of decentralization, which is getting uh, based in uh, ethnic basis. And <coughs> is that in contradiction with each other? Okay. Um, Um, rule of law capacity building. Roy, do you want to, to say something about this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the approach that EULEX uh, takes is, is again the same as, as, the, as the one that I mentioned, that is to, uh, to, uh, to uh, respect local ownership and, and, um, and responsibility. Uh, there are executive powers, there is a, a possibility for substitution, but I think over time this should gradually be scaled down and uh, the mentoring, monitoring and uh, advising is really the, the main activity. Um, um, I should also mention that the Commission uh, has a capacity building uh, program or set of programs, uh, even, even including in the rule of law sector. Um, so that, uh, particularly for the ju judiciary, uh, which is the <coughs> weakest, I think the weakest part in the in the uh, the legal and judicial uh, chain, uh, you know, these programs will help uh, strengthen uh, the rule of law and uh, and minimize or eradicate uh, the corruption and, and uh, in the judiciary. So I think that's that's uh, that's work in progress on security sector reform. Um, the efforts do not only encompass uh, the uh, the standing up of the Kosovo Security Force, but also the standing up of a national security council, the development of a national uh, security strategy, the um, creation of a single Kosovo intelligence agency. Which should, yeah, I see you're shaking your head, but <laughs> let me just finish my sentence. I mean, the idea is that the single Kosovo intelligence agency should do away with the other intelligence agencies that are still in existence and linked to political parties. So that is um, uh, equally uh, a challenge for the coming years. Um, and. Um, I think all of this is, is what, uh, what we will continue to, to assist in and, 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 and monitor, particularly in, again, in, uh, as regards the participation of the, of the communities in all these new organs and structures. On freedom of movement, um, I will be surprisingly disappointing in my answer. It is a commission responsibility. Um, the visa liberalization is being uh, is a process that is benchmarked on technical uh, issues. You've mentioned it yourself. Um, I don't think that you can say that Kosovo will be left behind. I think that Kosovo's performance in um, strengthening border management, in introducing a, a, a biometric passport, um, in uh, other aspects that are uh, required to, uh, to reach uh, full visa liberalization are uh, being taken forward by the Commission 
And um, although, as you rightly say, Kosovo is, is not one of the front runners at this moment, it should, uh, over time, um, also benefit of visa liberalization. And I think this is very <coughs> important for the people of Kosovo. And also as a, as a way to integrate the, the communities. Uh, to provide an attractive model also for Kosovo uh, uh, compared to, to its neighbors. So I don't think that, that there is a, a, a risk that Kosovo will remain isolated unless Kosovo, the Kosovo authorities will not make enough progress themselves. And finally, um, um, on um, decentralization, I, I didn't perhaps mention the other main aim of decentralization, and it is that um, five plus one new municipalities will be uh, established where the Serb community will be in the majority, which is one of the Atasaya provisions. And it is one of the uh, far-reaching provisions for affirmative rights, for, for in particular for the Serb community. So decentralization <coughs> is really an, an attempt, once again, to, uh, to stimulate integration and to create a multi-ethnic society. Mary, thank you very much for your observations on, um, on, on elections and, and, on, uh, and your question on how to, to stimulate uh, this, uh, this, this process, which is really part of, of uh, deepening and, and further developing uh, democratic um, uh, processes in, in Kosovo itself. It will take a lot, a, a lot of time. I firmly believe that the, the assembly should be as I said earlier, should play a, a, a leading role in this. The press must be become more articulate. Um, it's not up for me to criticize the press in Kosovo, but I sometimes get the feeling that too many short-term uh, issues are being highlighted uh, at the expense of, of more, should I say, the more longer-term issues uh, that, that the country uh, and, the, and, and the people face. So I hope that um, with the international community uh, members who are uh, more uh, experienced and articulate in this, like the OSCE and the Council of Europe, uh, we can uh, help improve this. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much indeed, and thank you for answering all those questions in such a gracious and serious way. I'm really very grateful to you for giving us this time to discuss with you. So thank you very much thank indeed. You.